Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coming up on today's show, guess who's back? Raj Sherman. Alberta affordability payments. They kicked off yesterday. Pretty smooth sailing. Is there more on the way? A lot of people feeling left out. And some great work being done by Dr. Tim Black as he's offering an online course to therapists to increase the support for Canadian veterans and first responders. Let's get into this here a bit. We're going to chat with uh, Raj Sherman now. Uh, Raj Sherman uh, is a name familiar to Albertans. He's been involved on and off with Alberta politics for quite some time. Um, but I'm not, uh, he, he's interested in making a comeback. So uh, we'll see exactly what the situation is with Dr. Sherman. Uh, Dr. Sherman, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Good morning, Shay. Thanks for having me. So an announcement this morning, right? You've announced that you... Um, you're getting back into the ring, are you? Well, I'll be seeking a nom- the nomination for the UCP party in Edmonton, Whitebud. <clears throat> Dave Hancock's former writing. Okay, all right. Listen, why? why? Why get back in now? Well, she has a few things. As you know, it's been 30 years working in the emergency room, and uh, after two or three years of COVID, it's really highlighted uh, issues with our healthcare system across the country. We've got 911 crisis, ER crisis, lack of family doctors, a big surgical care deficit just because of two years of COVID, and frontline staff are exhausted, burnt out. You know, my generation's cutting back and retiring early, and I want to be a part of helping improve access to health care, and it's a national issue. You can see all the television, all the provinces across the country are facing with this. But somebody who spent a life in public policy and in the front lines, it's time to get experts back into the legislature to help repair these issues. I think everybody would agree that that needs to be the focus of whoever forms government. The question, you, you, you won as a progressive conservative when you first got into politics, then you ran um, as a liberal, you're actually the leader of the Liberal Party of Alberta, uh, then you ran for leadership of the UCP most recently, you lost that, now you're running under the UCP banner once again. Help me make sense of that, because people already on the text line are saying, well, what is, where does this guy align himself politically, or do you not? Is it just sort of, you just want to be there? Okay, my values have all been I'm socially progressive and financially conservative. As you know, way back when, uh, the PC party was the Big Ten party at that time that was governing for 40-some-odd years. I was on the progressive end of it, and we had a bit of a civil war way back in 2009 and 10. You know, Brian Mason used to joke that we have four conservative leaders of four different parties, including Stephen Mandel being with the Alberta Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United Conservative Party is united. Right now, it's basically two-party politics. You've got the NDP. And you've got the UCP. Edmontonians and myself, you know, my values align with uh, with the progressive conservative values of the people of Edmonton, White, White Mud. But uh, the values have always been the same. They've never uh, wavered. Parties have changed and gone. As you know, the PC party no longer exists. Neither, yeah. uh, Neither does the liberal for all intents and purposes. Yeah, I was, I was the blue liberal. We literally changed our colors to blue and red. Our policies were very oil and gas friendly. And... Um, you know, economic friendly. So, I'm on the moderate, moderate uh, center, center right of the 
uh, UCP party. Okay, so so the question then is why the UCP and not the NDP? Frankly, your chances of winning and having a voice at the table are in Edmonton Whitemud are probably better with the NDP. Well, maybe not. It's going to be a close battle, but why did you decide the UCP? Well, you know, the NDP, their hearts are in the right place on social policy. And hey, I agree with many of the social policy issues, such as support for public health care and education. Where we differ is economic policy and fiscal policy. As you know, at, at the end of the NDP government, um, you know, the economy wasn't so good. We lost lots of jobs, lots mm-hmm. of people left Alberta right now currently. Uh, despite the economic issues across the world, we have economic growth. We've got prosperity. We've got a multi-billion dollar surplus coming. Um, we're able to pay down the debt and put some money in the Heritage Saving Trust Fund and help regular working Albertans with inflationary issues. And we actually have money to repair the things that we need fixed, such as healthcare, education, uh, support for our seniors. And you've seen lots of good announcements recently on uh, mental health and addictions and housing the homeless um, from the emergency department at the ALEC and um, as well the ER and EMS wait times. Raj, I'm going to be honest with you. I've known you a long time. And at some point, and when I heard this announcement this week, I started to think, okay, he's just having a bit of fun with us. Again, I mean, he's he's been in, he's been out, he's been with this party, he's been with that party, he's all over the place. I mean, how seriously are we taking this? And how seriously are you taking this? Because, I mean, I mean, you know the, you know the record. You're all over the place here. Jay, I wouldn't say that. I think politics has been all over the place. Um, I've been pretty consistent on where I stand on public policy. Yeah, you know, my mother almost died earlier this year. Her, can- her surgery was canceled three times. My children have lost five friends. I got a really good job, Shay. I just took a year off, a leave of absence from the ER department, the Royal Alec. I reassure you, uh, this isn't about entertaining myself. This is, these are very serious issues. People are suffering. Mm-hmm. People are waiting really lo- too long. And my record has been pretty clear all over the years. Uh, regardless of which party I was in, where I stand on these issues and fighting for regular hardworking people, especially getting them access to health care. And, you know, we need a, I It's my belief that the UCP will form government next election and it will, it'll be a close election. And it's not tough to run as a conservative in Edmonton. This will probably be the toughest election I've ever had in my life. I, I recognize that. But I do believe that we need representation in government from the capital city. We only have one MLA in government. And, uh, you know, NDP needs to do a better job in rural areas, and the Conservative Party needs a better job. Needs to do a better job in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be a tough fight in Edmonton. There's no question about that. Well, what's your relationship like with uh, Premier Smith? I mean, if you want to join this party and you want to work as a member of the UCP, what's the relationship you have within the UCP? Shay, it's interesting. When I was in the legislature, I was the doctor to everybody in every political party if they needed some prescription refills. Uh, we we both served as leaders of different parties in the legislature. Many times we had common issues on economic uh, managing the money and the economy. We worked together at that time. You know, the, during those times, I, as an independent, I worked with the NDP on social issues, and I worked with the uh, Wild Rose on economic and fiscal issues. So we had that friendship from being uh, from both serving in the legislature years ago. Um, so yeah, Daniel, and I, we we see eye to eye on healthcare. And we see eye to eye on economic fiscal issues. Well, Dr. Sherman, it'll be interesting. It, it always is. I'll give you that. You always make it entertaining. I look forward to following the campaign and the ultimate election race in Edmonton, White Mud. And I appreciate you being here this morning. Thank you, sir.
I want to get an update on um, the affordability payments and what else might be uh, in store for us in Alberta. I think it went pretty well yesterday. By all accounts, passing grade on the portal. Remember we talked about this yesterday morning, 9 a.m., the portal opened and Albertans could apply um, to uh, receive the affordability payments of $100 a month for kids under the age of 18, uh, if your household income is under 180000 and for seniors over the age of 65. Um, and I think a lot of people signed up. There was a brief moment I saw yesterday, we were getting some texts from listeners saying, ah, it's getting glitchy, it's not working, but it was like for just a short time at about 10 or 10.30. But other than that, I think it went pretty smoothly. But let's find out for sure. We're going to speak with Matt Jones, who is the Alberta Minister of Affordability and Utilities. Uh, Minister, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, what, how did it go yesterday? But from what I've heard, like I say, anecdotally, it seems like it went pretty well. Uh, I think it went fantastic, and that's a credit to the technology and innovation team at the Government of Alberta. We had, so as of 8 a.m. this morning, We've had around 135,000 applications, and that represents 180,000 children and 60,000 seniors approved and scheduled for payment. Uh, so I think that, by any measure, is, is just a huge success. And on the slow time, there was a there was an hour of slowness between 10:30 and 11:30 related to some cybersecurity measures. Yeah, uh, but that was quickly resolved. And even in that slow period, we approved 10,000 applications. Yeah, like I say, I just heard there was a brief period where it seemed like things had slowed down a little bit. So I mean, you're talking about 135,000 people signed up right off the hop. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you were thinking more than two million would be eligible before all it was said and done, correct? So, I mean, there's still a lot more that just didn't jump in on day one? So it's 135,000 applications representing 240,000 right. Albertans. Um, so that is a substantial amount. There's there's roughly 1.5 million Albertans directly eligible, but yep. of course they come from a variety of household types. So we, we estimate the these inflationary payments will support over 2 million Albertans. Gotcha. Okay. Um and, and just, we, sh- we should let people know that they don't have to do it today or yesterday. There, there's six months. I mean, the window stays open right until June, right? Absolutely. And, and they can apply in March and they would, if they were eligible for the January and February payments, they would be applied retroactively and added to their March payment. And if you have a, if you're expecting a child uh, between now and June, of course, uh, that child will be eligible in the month of their birth. Oh, okay, excellent. Um, now, last time we spoke, we, we talked about this, and I still, every time we talk about this, there's a lot of people who send me texts saying, well, why am I not allowed to get it? You know, I'm a, I'm a single person, but I, I, I barely get by. It certainly has hit me. And, and you said at the time there would be more on the way. Um, what, in terms of the people who aren't um, receiving benefits with this latest round, um, is there a possibility that they might? Yes, everything's on the table. And I'd like to, again, highlight that the average Alberta household who's not receiving these payments, i.e. there is no senior or child or or vulnerable Alberta living there, is is getting up to an estimated $900 in support already, uh, $500 by way of electricity rebates, and then hundreds of dollars in fuel tax savings. And we've also uh, indexed income taxes and uh, provided natural gas price protection. So that's an estimated $900 for for people not eligible uh, for the direct afford. Payments. But that's also for the people who are eligible. I mean, that everybody's getting that. I'm talking about the above and beyond that people, you know, feel like they've been left out. Yeah, so we're also looking at other areas of government to provide uh, assistance on affordability going forward. So I'm, I'm currently looking at insurance, as you know, and also post-secondary and what we can do for our students. So um, uh, this is 
uh, part of our ongoing work to keep Alberta affordable. Um, Minister, I didn't hear much in terms of uh, what people were reporting with the registries. People who didn't uh, want to or didn't have the option of doing it online were able to report to registries or Alberta support centers. Um, how did that go? Were there any glitches? Is there anything that needs to be improved on, on that side of uh, dealing with this? Uh, we, we didn't hear any, any major issues, and my understanding is that that is going well. And um, they're using a back end that ties into the portal, of course. So uh, provided the portal is functioning, I expect the uh, in-person experience at registries and Alberta supports offices to go well. And, and I'd just like to highlight that the Alberta supports offices, there's over 50 of them, and they can provide service in over 100 languages if anybody needs assistance. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, lots of ways to do it. Um, in terms of when people might see these payments, uh, what's the timeline on that? I mean, it was just an application process yesterday. How quickly will this be turned around and people will actually get money deposited in their bank or a check in the mail? Uh, expecting uh, the first uh, uh, batch of payments to land on January 31st. And then they are batch paid for efficiency and cost savings. Uh, so I would expect uh, the, the uh, next month's payments to also be at the end of the month. Uh, question, I guess, and a lot of people asking on the text line, why didn't you just go through CRA like the other provinces did? I mean, BC came in a little bit later than you did, and there was no application. There's no applying. You just, you're just you automatically approved, and the check is automatically deposited, and already was last week. Why didn't we just go that route? It seems much more efficient. Yeah, great question. That's the first area that we explored uh, for delivering affordability supports. Uh, BC is topping up an existing federally delivered monthly support, the BC Family Benefit. In Alberta, we have a quarterly delivered uh, family benefit, and it only applies to a small subset of children in Alberta. And of course, our program is going to 80% of families with children and over 90% of seniors. So there is no federally delivered monthly support that we could top up that would hit seniors 65 and up and all of the children that are eligible under this program. It still goes through CRA, right? Like you are checking against 2021 tax returns. We verify the the income and personal data against CRA, but it is not administered through right. CRA. So our, our Alberta Child and Family Benefit is... And, but again, that's administered quarterly. So if there was a monthly Alberta benefit that went to all of these recipients, we would have absolutely topped it up, but there simply is not. Okay. Uh, and last one, Minister, like I said earlier, in terms of uh, what might be coming, it, it, we're not done. As you said, everything is on the table. When you talk about everything being on the table, what are you looking at? What kind of relief might Albertans see in the near future? Is there more on the way? Yeah, again, I'm looking right now uh, very closely at uh, at insurance and post-secondary, and then we're evaluating the rollout of these affordability supports, and we'll also be looking at how cost of living and inflation changes uh, over the, the term of this program, uh, because we do have a, a delivery mechanism that enables us uh, to look at the scope or or perhaps extend the delivery of payments like these, because we now have the infrastructure in place. Gotcha. Okay, Minister, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you being here. Uh, we're going to deal with something that is uh, is vitally important to some people that are really important. We've learned a lot about post-traumatic stress and the effect that it has on people, especially, you know, people who, frankly, go through hell on a daily basis, talking about veterans and emergency personnel. Um, they often encounter... The very worst of humanity is part of a day on the job. That's what they always say. And, I, you know, I've actually spoken with them and done different stories on post-traumatic stress disorder among firefighters. And they say, your worst day ever, that's what we do before our coffee break. 
and then we do it again and we do it again. Like the moment that sort of stands out as your worst day in your life, that's what they encounter all day long. That's the job. And we've learned how that impacts them. We've also learned a lot about ways to help, but there's still some pretty big holes. And now some important work is underway to try and fill in those gaps. We're going to chat with Dr. Tim Black, one of Canada's leading experts on mental health support for veterans and first responders. Dr. Black, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You know, like I say, I I remember doing a story with uh, the Calgary Fire Department back in mid-90s about post-traumatic stress, and it was pretty early at that time, but we were starting to become aware of it. How far have we come? I mean, obviously, there's still work that needs to be done, right? I think so. I I think we're we're in a very different spot than we were back in the 90s. I remember that time well where nobody really knew what we were talking about. So I'm actually pretty encouraged. There's actually some really good treatments for PTSD these days, some very effective things, and lots of people are really understanding that. So that's the definitely today that's the encouraging news is that if if you've been traumatized, there's some really helpful treatments out there that if you find the right person and you can get into it, then you can actually really start to work on getting out of the hole of trauma, as it were. And as you mentioned, if you find the right person, is that sort of like, I mean, it's not a mystery. We have very good evidence around the kind of treatment that works here, but not everybody has access to it. I mean, when you say find the right person, that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, I, I think my my big thing thinking about this, when you think about what's the gap, is that we've got very, very skilled clinicians and we've got injured people who need the help. And I'm not entirely sure that we're always able to match those two people up all the time as well as we can. And so to me, that's the tragedy is that you've got very helpful people and very injured people. But for whatever reason, in this particular space, it's a little bit harder to bridge that gap. So that's part of why when we're looking at the, the course that, that we're going to be talking about today, mm-hmm. that was the effort is to try to close that gap um, between those two people. And I can imagine if you're if you're a veteran or you're a first responder, dealing with PTSD and you're you're walking into a therapist's office and they just don't seem to get it, that's got to be incredibly frustrating and make it that much harder, right? Well, I think you you just hit the nail on the head. It's that first time to sort of connect with somebody and, and sort of open access to the work is, is really crucial. And I think in terms of people like first responders, military, they have such a very different experience than most of us in the civilian world that, that, that their experience really isn't like most of the clients that will come in. So understanding why that's different, understanding the kinds of things that they do deal with, and then how to approach that really to, to sort of remove the barriers to them staying, I think is really what we're talking about is if they get there, now the trick is how do you get them to stay long enough so they see that, oh, I can take advantage of this, this treatment that might help me. And like you say, it's that first step that would probably make all the difference because conversely, if you walk into an office and immediately you feel, okay, I'm heard, I'm understood, they know exactly what I'm talking about, now the door is opened and it must be just a huge relief. It is. And so I think there's two things that I've heard, and this is just listening to people who've come through our programs, largely funded by Wounded Warriors Canada, um, you know, and, and they've been the biggest partner for me in terms of developing this stuff, is two things. One, I went and I, the first session, I never went back. You know, I, I, I told the, the therapist one story and, and I, I saw the person's eyes tear up and I just knew if that, if they were going to tear up at that, to me, there's the gap there. Cause for a lot of therapists, like that's not a problem. You can, you can have an emotional response. That's not a bad thing. However, when you're working in that community, that first response might be an put off putting. The second thing is that people will, a lot of first responders, they'll go diligently to therapy, but they won't necessarily tell the stories that need to be told. And what we've heard over and over again is like, you know, I go for 50 minutes. The first 20 is how is your week? 
the next 10 is maybe a little bit of work and then i know they're 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 wrapping up because it's a 50 minute hour and they can only bill for six sessions and i so i'm just not even going to open that the hurt locker that i got a whole host of stuff in there there's no way i'm going to open it up and then have to go back home after 50 minutes so some of the stuff we're encouraging people to consider is to sort of amend how they would normally do things as a way to open up the door for people to stay but then also if they do stay to actually get them to try to get into the stuff that's actually harming them and that's actually holding them back and so you, that's the course that we're talking about that you've developed you've come up with an online course for therapists to access i mean it, it does is it is it the things that we're talking about here, I mean, or obviously a therapist is on a different level than just somebody talking on the radio. So is it, how, what kind of things are you trying to instruct them? Yeah, we're, we're trying to give them a window into what we've found. And again, like the teams that I work with across the country and the therapists, we, we all listen very carefully to what people tell us works. And I think that's the big thing. And then in partnership with the Atlas Institute and Wooded Warriors, they're really the ones who drove this to get this to, to come forward, um, is teaching people the stuff that we've... like. We're not the the smartest people on the face of the planet, but what we do do is really listen to what people have told us, and particularly for me, I've been doing this over 20 years. If there's one thing I feel like I've done well and I don't do everything well is I've listened and said, hey, what's, what? how do we do this better? How do we keep people, what, what would you recommend we do next time so people don't want to, you know, run run screaming from the room? Like, mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we create an environment where people feel like, no, this is the place I belong? And it's that kind of collective wisdom where I've taken what I've learned through my contact with my teammates and then also really from the people who are there as first responders and military people, I've really taken to heart what they've said and tried to package it in a way to say, hey, here's what people have told us worked. We've tried it. We've found that people stay if you approach it this way because they feel comfortable. And so we, little nuggets like that, like, so there's a, there's a few different sort of highlights I could point to if, sure. you're, if you're curious. Yeah. Um, one of them is that as you, you started off just, just sort of what we hear all the time is like, you know, the fact is they see trauma beyond probably what most normal people would ever see right. in their lifetime, yep. bar none. The, the numbers of trauma and traumatic events that they're exposed to is beyond the pale. So in some ways, they have a lot more robust experience, and you don't, you don't necessarily have to treat them the same sort of careful. I don't want to use the word kid gloves because therapists are just sensitive to trying to create a good environment. But some of the training we are normally get is like, you know, really create a place of safety, ensure people they're going to be, they're going to be listened to. That can sometimes rub people the wrong way because, like, like, look, I, I just, I've seen yeah. terrible, horrible things. You don't have to be so careful with me, and, and that kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit. So being a little bit more matter of fact, the other thing that we talk about in the, in the course is they're professionals. These are what well, we call it the course for introduction to trauma exposed professionals. They are professionals in their own right. Sure. And so I usually advocate for the two professionals approach. Look, I'll be the professional, say, in trauma therapy. You be the professional in being a paramedic or a police officer or, you know, a, a firefighter. You, you tell me and you be the expert on that side. If we bring us together and we're both at the top of our game in terms of our respective expertise, we're going to do this better together because I can't do something to you. I need you to do it with me. So trying to approach it from that standpoint rather than I'm the counselor and you're the, you're the client who's injured. And, of course, they are. So we have to have 
you know, of course, all the professional responsibilities. I'm a registered psychologist. We have to be very careful to be at the utmost professional level. But interacting with people and starting the process is we're two professionals here. You just happen to be coming to me for help in my area of expertise, but you need to be the expert in what you do. And if I don't get it, you, you just correct me and we'll carry on and do better. It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of who it's being offered to, I mean, as you said, there's lots of different disciplines that offer this kind of therapy. So is it open to anybody like social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists? I mean, where, where does it stop and end? Yeah, it's, it's really anybody. The, the course is designed, I, I would say, for people who have a lot of experience working with first responders. It would be more like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I kind of do this similar kind of thing. I don't know that it would be revela- revelatory for anybody who's had very successful longstanding practices. They might find some interesting little nuggets that we've used in our group programs. That, uh, But really, I would say for people who are maybe they have one or two people and it didn't go so well, or maybe they're looking at expanding their practice because they really do want to help. They want to try and include, that's a, it's a great opportunity to at least get a window into some of the stuff, again, that we have found helpful. That Everything that we're offering in this, all these years we've done this, we've found this over and over again. This is what makes our work easier. And I guess that's the message I would say is that the work is very hard, but it does work. And if we can make it easier on the practitioner to help the person and also make it more accessible for the person coming in, again, there's no guarantees, but that's our best chance for both of us to do the best work we can. Is there a shortage? uh, I don't know how you could define it, but in terms of people with this kind of specific training, like uh, do our first responders and our veterans have a hard time finding somebody with this kind of understanding? Yeah, I mean, how we approach trauma especially is, is kind of unique to some of the stuff that I've developed with my, my, my partner, uh, Alex Sterling, who I've done a lot of work with, with trauma resiliency training and those kinds of things. We've, we've worked together and I have great colleagues across the country and how you deliver the information really matters. So that stuff's just coming online in the last few years and we're trying to get it out there. There's, there's good trauma therapists, but I would say that the biggest struggle we have right now is when people come out of our programs is finding people who are super comfortable and very able and competent to really start the process off with the first responders and, and not sort of fall into that thing of, yeah, they're coming, but maybe they're not talking or they're like, well, I only do 50 minute sessions. I won't do a 90 minute session because that's not my practice. If So for the people who are trying to do this and want to get better at it, my hope would be that as they take the course, they'll get some windows of insight maybe as to why some of the things they've tried maybe hadn't worked and then how to actually do it differently so that the work becomes easier and the person is able to access it a little bit easier. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So doctor, if people want to access this course, if they're in this field, um, I imagine they know about it. What's the easiest way to get involved with this? Yeah, so the again, the, the partnership was between Wounded Warriors Canada and the Atlas Institute for Veterans and Families. So you can uh, go onto the Wounded Warriors website and Warrior Health. The course is there. You can contact Wounded Warriors directly and just say, hey, I love the course. Can I get, can I get access to it and start that way? Um, I think it, at last count, we're up about 800 people have accessed the okay. course. So to me, that's, that's very encouraging because we really, really want to have a whole community of therapists that feel comfortable and feel confident to do, as I said at the beginning, they're already skilled. They know how to help people. We just have to get the two parties to be able to get the work started. Once it starts and it's working, it's just like regular therapy. You just, you just do the work. So that, that's really what I'm encouraging people is if you really want to do the work with this population, this may help you actually start it so you can just do what you're already competent at. Fantastic. Uh, Dr. Black, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.